Well, welcome again to the Power View Christian Church Sunday Morning Sermon Series podcast. And uh, my name is Trey Hinkle. I'm the uh, senior pastor here at Power View Christian Church in Power View, Oregon. We've been going through the Sermon on the Mount from the Gospel of Matthew, chapters 5, 6, and 7. And today we're actually concluding it all. It's been a great study. Uh, it's taken us uh, several months, but uh, it's been good to understand what life is like in God's upside-down kingdom. And, and today we're actually talking about what Jesus then expected after the people heard his words, what he expected them to do. There was a decision that needed to be made. There's a, uh, there's a poem by the American poet Robert Frost that ends like this. It says, I shall be telling this with a sigh. Somewhere ages and ages hence, two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. We are in graduation season, and that poem that I just read from has been incorporated into many a graduation ceremony throughout the decades. Again, written by the American poet Robert Frost, the poem is perfect for graduation because graduation represents not just an end of, of finishing up a formal education, but it's also a beginning. And as you're the beginning the next phase of life, you now have a choice to make. Uh, there are several paths that are there after graduation. What are you going to do with your life? Uh, the, the poem is perfect because there are at least two choices of roads offered to the graduate. And the decision really is life-changing because it typically determines what the rest of one's life will look like. Today, like I said, we are kind of graduating ourselves. After almost a year of studying the Sermon on the Mount, we're finally coming to the conclusion. But just like a graduation at school, this is not just an end, like, yay, we're done, and that's all we need to worry about. No, it actually launches us into the beginning of the rest of our lives as disciples that are living in God's upside-down kingdom, what is expected of us, there's a choice that we must make after hearing Jesus' words. It's appropriate to see that as Jesus concludes this greatest sermon that has ever been preached, we're given two very clear choices. After hearing Jesus' remarks, after considering his teaching, in each and every person's life who hears his words, there are now two paths diverging in a wood, so to speak, and we will choose the one that will make all the difference in the world to our life. No matter which path we choose, it will make a difference for us. So I want to look at these uh, four choices that Jesus actually lays out for us at the end of his sermon. This is kind of where rubber meets the road. And he first uh, says that there are two paths that lead to two portals. Two paths that lead to two portals. We're in Matthew chapter 7. Listen to verses 13 and 14. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. There's a story that's told of an older United States senator who many years ago was standing in a train station frantically looking for his ticket. Um, one of the uh, train station's porters helped him look for a while and then says, you know, Senator, don't worry about it. Just mail us the ticket when you find it. Well, the senator looked at the porter and says, thank you, but the problem is, is I don't remember where I'm supposed to go. I don't remember what train I'm supposed to be on. 
See, when you listen to Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount, there is no doubt as to where you are going. No doubt whatsoever. The, the first choice that he gives us, which path are we on? On what path are we traveling? The, the first path is a very easy path. It's an easy path because it's the path that we would naturally, because of our sinful nature, want to travel. We don't have to give up anything to go down this road. We don't have to be different. We can just go with the crowd. He describes it there in verses 13 and 14 as a wide pathway, a broad path. You know, as I was coming to Central Oregon from California nine years ago, uh, we had decided to show our girls more than just the back road 97 to get to uh, the Bend area. So we actually kept going up Highway 5 until we got to um, Eugene, and then we uh, made a right, and then we started to come down that way so that the, the girls could see that there was uh, some civilization um, uh, elsewhere. They could see the city. They could see some beautiful sites uh, where, where the, the road twists through beautiful woods. And I decided that we were going to go through the McKenzie Pass. It looked like it was a shorter route. It was going to be very short. It was like, well, I guess a lot of people go down this way. And uh, because it cuts off some miles of, on the trip, we're going to take the McKenzie Pass. Well, if you have ever been down the McKenzie Pass, you, you know that it's not a shortcut by any means. Not a lot of people go down it at all. But, boy... It's beautiful. It's so worth going through there. We were stunned by the beauty down the McKenzie Pass. But it definitely added to our time. And it was not a wide path. And there was not a lot of people on it. And it was a, a winding road. See, Jesus is telling us we have a choice. We can go down the wide road or we can take the McKenzie Pass. We can take this narrow road. See, the, the, the wide road a lot of people take. It looks safer. It, it definitely is going to get you there quicker. But is it really the best way? See, each of us are going to reach a place where two roads are going to diverge. One leading to the kingdom and then beyond into eternity. And one leading to destruction, according to Jesus, and eternal separation from God. And, and you're going to miss the whole purpose of your life by going down the, the broad Way And you're going to miss the, the beauty that was intended if you took the smaller uh, way. Now, the, the wide road leads to a wide portal or a wide gate that's easy to recognize. It's easier to walk through. It's natural. It's well lit. Uh, there's a crowd that kind of pushes you through it. It's like, it's like going down to Disneyland. I, I don't know if you've been down to Disneyland, but uh, you can't miss the entrance. And the, the, the path there is filled with people. And they're pushing you along. But like Disneyland, if I'm going to get caught up in that crowd and I get kind of pushed along in through the Disneyland gate, what I'm going to find on the other side of that gate is it's going to be fun. It's going to, it's going to be exciting. But in the end, it's not real. I don't get to live there. Disneyland does not become what my life is all about. But what if you arrived there in Anaheim at Disneyland and you're standing on the path that leads into the park and you look and off to the side there's this small, winding, unassuming dirt road that leads to a very narrow portal, a very narrow gate. And you could tell that not many people have even noticed it, much less entered in, into it. And then what if as you go down that path and through that gate, it actually doesn't lead you to roller coasters and 
teacup rides and the galaxy's edge, but it leads you to a basin of water in a town. It leads you to a cross. Now, the choice would be simple for a lot of people, for most people. And that's why being a disciple in God's upside-down kingdom is so radical, because Jesus says, I know what most people would choose. They would choose the main gate that takes them into a fantasy world that is not real. And yet, Jesus is calling us to make the other choice, a different choice. See, down the wide road, I can be my own boss. I can go where I want. I can go where I want, when I want. I can care about me first. I get to make my choices accordingly. But down that narrow road lies a Savior who tells me that it's going to be hard. Uh, He says, "I, I have to lose my life in order to find it. I have to die to myself in order to live for him. I'm supposed to follow where he goes. Why? Well, because he is Lord, not just Savior. He is Lord, and he alone will lead me to the best outcome possible. And that will involve a cross, and that will involve a basin of water and a towel, as I am called to serve. See, the wide path is easy. It's pleasurable at times. It's popular, but in the end, it's not reality. It's not fulfilling and it's deadly. The narrow path leads to a cross. And Jesus actually said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. But in the end, it's, it's the only road that actually leads to reality, which is eternal life and reconnection with our God. So there are two paths. That's the first choice that Jesus is telling his hearers. After you've listened to the Sermon on the Mount, now you've got a choice. Which path are you going to take? Then he gives us two products. Uh, look, look at verses 15 through 20. He says, Watch out for false prophets, because they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Ah, here's the produce. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. And and I believe that Jesus is also saying that uh, by your fruit, people will recognize you. In in fourth grade in San Jose, my elementary school teacher, Mr. Thomas, would have a sing-along every week. And the songs that he would bring us were were old folk tunes, some from long, long ago, some from, you know, not the too distant past, like in the 60s. There was one in particular that I, it just struck me. I, I liked it. I liked the tune, I guess, um, but I've never forgotten the words to it. It uh, was lemon tree, very pretty, and the lemon flower is sweet, but the fruit of the poor lemon is impossible to eat. Lemon tree, very pretty, and the lemon flower is sweet. But the fruit of the poor lemon is impossible to eat. See, that song is saying that there's a fruit that comes from a very pretty tree with sweet flowers on it. But on its own, if you're trying to eat a lemon on its own, it's very hard for many, many people to actually swallow. There are people out there whose idea of Christianity is just look good. Just look good. Uh, look holy, look righteous. That, that was the, the uh, culture in which Jesus came. The Pharisees just wanted to look good. Their heart wasn't there, but they looked good. 
People have practiced for years putting on a Christian facade, making sure that nobody sees that bitterness that's hidden behind that false face. Jesus would call the religious leaders of his time whitewashed tombs, stones that have been painted to look pretty and clean and new, but underneath they're hiding something that is uh, associated with death and decay. So Jesus is saying, listen, you've heard my words. Now, what difference are my words going to make in the way that you live? See, you can't just say, well, I I believe this stuff and I put it into my heart, but I'm not going to really obey. I'm not going to actually live this out. What kind of fruit are you producing? That's what Jesus is asking. Is the fruit that you're producing good and sweet and refreshing? Or is it sour and like crab apples, bad. See, I, I fear that too many believers today are relying so much on grace that they forgot that God's law is still perfect, still holy. It's still a standard by which we are to live our lives. We don't live good lives so that we will be saved, but we live good lives because we are saved. And if we are not producing good fruit, one has to wonder, have we really made our way into God's upside-down kingdom? See, we hear Jesus' teaching about the character of those who live in the upside-down kingdom, about our thought life, about the condition of our heart, and ultimately, as any effective teacher does, he brings us down where the rubber meets the road and says the choice is yours, and what we choose will be the product of that teaching. You're either going to choose the product that is good and sweet and refreshing, or you're going to choose the product that is bad and sour. The choice is ours. It either comes into our life and changes us, what Jesus teaches, or it falls on a heart that's hardened and there is no good fruit that's produced at that point. We choose what kind of fruit we want to bear. If we walk in obedience to the leading of the Spirit, we will produce the fruit of the Spirit, fruit that is enticing to others, fruit that is nourishing for our spiritual growth. And the best fruit is the fruit that originates from God's Spirit as it takes root in the prepared soil of our lives as we make that choice. So you have two paths. You've got two products to choose from. And now Jesus says there are now two practices. Let's look at verses 21 through 23. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. I don't know if you caught this, but there are two times that Jesus actually uses the word do or does. Evil doers and the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. See, here we're coming to a point that, in my opinion, has actually gotten watered down in our culture. Because of grace and the, the beauty of grace and God's mercy, there are those in the world today who will say, I can just rely on His grace. It doesn't really matter what I believe. It doesn't really matter how I live because God loves us all. In fact, there, there's, there's some people out there, there's many people out there who, who just believe that there's a lot of different ways to reach God. And as long as you practice your faith sincerely, you're okay. You're okay. And people will say that a good Muslim, a good Hindu, a good Buddhist, a good old boy, those all have a good of a shot to get into heaven as a good Christian because God is, you know, loving and gracious and merciful. And See, now we would say, well, no, you can't say that a Muslim and a Buddhist and a Hindu and a Christian are all on the same, uh, on the same ground there. 
But sometimes we actually get into this whole idea of, well, I'll let grace cover me, and it doesn't then matter what I do in my life. You know, I, I'm a religious person. I go to church, you know, or I give to the church. I'm basically a good person. And, and many people who claim to be believers say, you know, I'm, I'm living my life in a way that I'm hoping that the man upstairs will take uh, the, the fact that I'm a basically a good person into consideration and let me in. Well, let me tell you this. The man upstairs might take it into consideration, but God doesn't. God's not the man upstairs. God is holy and awesome. He is the creator of all, not just the man upstairs. And God says it doesn't really matter how good of a person you are. If you're not cleansed by the blood of Jesus, then you, if you've not accepted God's gift of grace through your act of faith, then you could be good, bad, or indifferent. It doesn't matter. By the way, this choice between two practices is made when we first enter into the kingdom. You'll notice that when we baptize somebody, we ask if they believe in Jesus as the Son of God and if they have accepted him as both Lord and Savior. See, those two terms go hand in hand. If you want a Savior but not a Lord, you're in for a big surprise, Jesus said. Some of them will say, Lord, Lord, but they really never made him Lord. He says, I I never knew you. If you accept a Lord but never acknowledge your need for a Savior, you're just as lost because now it's all about what you do and, and, and making sure that you've done all the right things without realizing that you actually need Jesus in order to be made righteous. See, the two roles that Jesus plays here, those two roles are really what makes you a disciple of the upside-down kingdom because as Savior, Jesus makes you righteous and allows you by His righteousness to enter into the presence of the Father where the relationship had once been broken by sin. So it's important that Jesus is Savior. But as Lord, Jesus becomes your teacher, your rabbi, your master, the one you commit yourself to following by identifying as a disciple of Jesus. Here's something shocking to some of you. Did you know that the Bible does not say anything about a plan to sign up for free fire insurance? Did did you know that the sinner's prayer, as we know it today, isn't spelled out for us at all in the Bible? Now, the principles are there, but the words are not there. See, for everyone who called on the name of the Lord to be saved, there there was a change in the practice of of their lives. See, if after years of calling yourself a Christian, there is no change in your life, then there was no change in your Lord. It's to these people that Jesus will one day say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you evil, there it is, doers. See, it matters how they live. So you've got a choice between paths, a choice between products, a choice between practices. And the last thing that Jesus mentions in the Sermon on the Mount is a choice between two platforms. We conclude with verses 24 through 27. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it has its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Jesus has just spoken for what we now break down into over 100 verses of Scripture. In English, 
what Jesus has said translates to over 2,300 words. And all of those 2,300 words comes down to one choice. What are we going to do with those words? Either we're going to use them as a platform to build our life on, or we're going to ignore them. But church, if we ignore them, it doesn't mean that we're not building our life on something. We're still building our life on something. Those who reject the idea of God, not wanting to subject themselves under His authority or, or the teachings of the Bible, they still believe in something. It's very ironic to me that those who claim to have no faith actually have arguably more faith, have to have more faith than we do. They built their life on some kind of philosophy, some kind of agent of change, but they, they won't recognize God but they do know that something should change. See, one day, ask somebody who claims to have no faith these questions. So, is the world right now what you would want it to be like? Most likely, they'll say no. It's not what we would want it to be like. So then you ask them, well, then, what in your opinion is wrong? And they'll tell you what they believe is wrong in this world. And then you say, well, what, what should be done to fix it? And if they answer those questions, then guess what? They've just explained their faith. They've just explained their concept of sin, what's wrong with the world, and their concept of salvation, how to fix it. See, folks, that's faith. They have a faith. Everybody's got faith in something. Everybody will build their house of his life on a platform. And Jesus tells us that whatever platform we choose to build on, that choice will determine how sturdy our life is really is. See, if I build my life on the philosophies of the world, how am I supposed to explain why bad things happen to me? If I don't recognize certain behaviors as sin or as missing the mark and as why everything in this world seems so messed up, then how do I explain mass shootings across the country? Is that karma? Is that how I explain it? Is it the next step up the evolutionary ladder? Maybe I wasn't good enough to prevent that from happening. So we put our hope and trust in man's efforts. We put our hope and trust in educational systems, in government, in the legal system. Jesus is telling his hearers by saying that you've got two platforms. Apart from the rock of our salvation, all of those systems, educational systems, governmental systems, legal systems, those are all sinking sand. When storms of life come, they all wash away. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Folks, we got a choice. Jesus gives us a choice on which platform we're going to build. If we build on the sinking sand of other religions, other philosophies, um, other systems of this world, our house will fall. But if we build on his word and his righteousness, he promises that we now have the foundation that is going to be secure enough to allow us to stand within the storms. Now, that, that doesn't mean that the storms are not going to come. Jesus said, in this life, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Storms will come because storms are part of living in a cursed world. Christians get cancer. Christian parents lose babies. Christians suffer storms just like everybody else. The rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. It's just, though, that when those storms come, our house 
if we've built upon the rock, our house will stand firm. It will stand in the storm as long as we have built it on the rock of Jesus' teachings. It's our choice. Build on sand or build on him. So as you listen to this message, what choices have you been making? Which path have you chosen? Have you spent a lifetime going down the broad road, not realizing that it leads to nothing, but having a sneaking suspicion that it's not as fulfilling as what it had promised? If that's the case, it's time to use your brakes and uh, turn left. <laughs> get, get on the narrow road before it's too late. And that doesn't mean you, you need to work hard to, to live a better life. What it means to enter the narrow road is through. It's only a point of entry. The grace of God, which was poured out through Jesus Christ, his sacrifice on the cross. He's the only way. Are you producing fruit? the right kind of fruit? Is your fruit the real thing? Or is it just pretty, but not fit for anything but throwing out? What about your practices? Are you hoping to get to heaven because you're a good old boy or a nice girl? Who is Lord of your life? Is it Jesus or is it you? And what about the platform that you're building on? Are you, are you doing something with the words of Jesus that you hear? Are you building your life on them or are you just hearing them and ignoring them? and building your life on another philosophy or another system, which is just sinking sand. See, the, the, the amazing thing is that Jesus presents us with a choice. We can choose his way. If you can hear his words, it's not too late. If the Spirit moves you, it's not too late. But God says that his Spirit will not strive with man forever because if you reject him, he will leave you alone. He'll go away. He'll leave you to your judgment. But just the fact that you're listening to this means that it's not too late for you to make the right choice. You know, I, I want to conclude with um, an Old Testament passage from Joshua chapter 24. Right before he died, Joshua gathered the people of Israel together. You, you could say it was their graduation. Uh, they, they had finished their wandering in the, in the wilderness, and now they were getting ready to go on to the next phase of their life, going into the promised land just like we're graduating from the Sermon on the Mount uh, as well. He gathered them together. Joshua gathered the people together. This is what he said in Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 and 15. He says, Now fear the Lord. Serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods that your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you were living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. You know, my prayer for you listening to this is that you will answer wholeheartedly like the children of Israel answered Joshua in verse 21, where they said to him, we will serve the Lord. That's our choice. We're choosing the narrow path. We are choosing the good fruit to produce. We are choosing the practice that allows Jesus to be our Lord and Savior, and we will choose to build on the rock. And I promise you, your life in Christ will be so much more satisfying and fulfilling than anything else that you will ever choose. Well, it's good to have you with us uh, today, uh, listening to this. Um, 
Uh, we're getting ready to launch into a summer series next week. Um, we're still kind of working on that. Actually, uh, we're going to be talking about Independence Day next week, which will be the 4th of July for us on this Sunday. If you're ever in Central Oregon and uh, find yourself in the uh, Bend, uh, Redmond area, we are just uh, east of Redmond, uh, Powell Butte. Uh, the community here is a, a wonderful community, and the church here is a wonderful uh, community of faith, and we would love to have you join us if you ever find yourself on, on a weekend here. We have a a cowboy church at 7 o'clock on Saturday evenings. We have an 8.30 service uh, in our worship center, a 9.30 service during the summer outdoors in our west lawn, and we have an 11.30 traditional service in our historic chapel, and you're absolutely welcome to join us. It would be wonderful to have you here and uh, and just uh, do life with us as believers uh, where we can encourage one another. God bless you, and may you shine for Jesus. We'll see you next time.